Welcome to Season of the Bitch, the leftist podcast that knows that the body is a temple and also a flesh prison. Today we have Bianca, Zoe, Julia, and Kellen. And today we wanted to talk about all of the ways that having a physical human body can prove to be difficult and complicated. Um, I've made this joke several times before that I wish I were just like a brain and ether so I just could, could continue to have conscious experiences without having to think about like the corporeal thing that I have to carry my being around in. Um, I really, I, I really do think about this like multiple times a week. I so. have had this exact same wish. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to go further and say like, I don't even want to be a brain. I want like no <laughs> substance no whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. No thoughts, just vibes. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Just vibes. <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely. Um, So before we jump into anything we discussed today, we do want to give a content warning up front because this episode is going to cover different topics related to bodies, uh, including things like body weight, body image, and different dysphorias that are associated with those things, including gender dysphoria. Um, And I know Julia wanted to talk more in depth about this topic specifically, but we wanted to start off by discussing the many ways that certain bodies are ostracized or policed specifically with respect to dysphoria. Yeah, so I wanted to talk a little bit about the concept of body dysphoria, um, because I think a lot of folks are familiar with this as it relates to being trans, like feeling like your body doesn't match up with your gender or like the way that you want your gender to be perceived by others. Dysphoria itself means having like a really strong sense of unease or dissatisfaction with your body. So gender dysphoria is specifically that feeling of discomfort with your body related to your gender, but then there can also be other types of dysphoria. Um, So people often think of this as being kind of like an individual problem. The way it's framed often is just like your internal concept of yourself doesn't match up with your physical body. So you can do things to change your physical body, like wearing a binder or getting surgery. Um, But I think it's important also to talk about the ways that dysphoria comes not just from within, but from other people, from social rules, and even from legal enforcement and financial enforcement, which we're going to get into a little bit. Um, The way that people treat you and the rules you're expected to follow because of the way other people view your body can be really big factors in dysphoria for many people. And particularly when it comes to bodies that are fat, disabled, and or gender nonconforming, there are just so many ways that society encourages people to feel bad about their bodies or just acts like these types of bodies don't exist at all and just doesn't accommodate them. Um, So we wanted to talk about some of the systems that promote and enforce these kinds of attitudes and this kind of harm. So one way this can show up is in workplaces. Some examples that might come to mind right away are like workplaces can have seating that only accommodates thin and able-bodied people. So you might have like a desk chair with super small arms. So if you're bigger, it's going to be uncomfortable to sit in Um, or a desk at a height that isn't comfortable for a wheelchair user um, and the desk can't be adjusted. The list of these types of things goes on. Employers are supposed to provide reasonable accommodations, at least when it comes to disability. Um, But no surprise, um, employers often don't follow the law. 
And even when they do, the burden is often placed on fat, trans, and disabled people to seek out those things for themselves, to ask for those accommodations. And it's treated as kind of like a hassle for your employer somehow, like you're being a burden. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I definitely, in my own workplace, feel that the onus is often placed on fat or trans or disabled people to request those accommodations. And then like that process itself can make that make those people like feel like it's a burden for them because it's a complicated process where we have to interview interface with like the HR departments, the EEO offices, the specific departments we work in. Like there's just so many steps to be able to get like this thing that like we should be able to get just by virtue of like existing um just so like we can be comfortable like being at work yeah totally and I feel like that paperwork can kind of be an informal way of denying it to like just setting up barriers that people have to go through yeah um also we talked about this a little bit on our non-binary episode a while ago but there's also the whole concept of like being expected to wear certain clothes at work and dress codes Um, So a lot of trans people feel really uncomfortable being forced to kind of dress up or dress professionally, quote unquote, at work, because that often means having to wear clothes that really don't match with their gender. Um, Either, you know, other people perceive them to be a different gender and so think they need to wear those clothes or just professional clothes themselves can like just bring up a lot of like dysphoric impulses for folks. Um, I personally feel a lot differently about my body when I'm able to wear the clothes that feel most to me, like they match my gender expression and who I am. Um, And I feel really uncomfortable when I'm not able to do that. Like having that taken away can really worsen my feelings of body dysphoria. Um, So part of that for me is not just about how I feel about my own body. It's that when I'm wearing hyper feminine clothes, like a dress or a pencil skirt or something like that, people treat me so differently. Mm-hmm. It's like a switch is just kind of flipped for people to like woman. And even if I tell them I'm not a woman, it's like harder for them to actually view me that way. Right. Yeah. Um, and like, I don't know, I specifically really love wearing like long flowy skirts, but not because I'm a girl, just because they're hot and I like how they mm-hmm. look on me. But I really hate that when I'm wearing a skirt, people more like tend to assume that I'm a woman. So I don't wear them very much because of how other people then read me more so than because of like how I personally feel about it or would do if I were just like in a vacuum alone. Yeah. This makes me want to like pound my table and be like, let them wear skirts. <laughs> let them wear skirts. Yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> no, I relate to that so much. I was literally just thinking about this tweet that I saw like last week and it like resonated with me so much. It was like two images. It's like what I wear in my bedroom versus like what I wear. Oh outside. my God. Yeah. I put this, I put it on my Finsta, but it was just like literally like, <laughs> like when you go out, it's like the boxiest, loosest, like. <laughs> outfit you can find (laughs) and like in your own home it's like whatever you actually like feel like most um comfortable wearing like most gender affirming wearing um so yeah I definitely relate to that I also just want to talk more about clothing in the workplace I mean like right now I have the luxury of like being able to work from home and so I either wear whatever I want or if I have a zoom meeting I like look professional quote unquote from like my torso up and that's like okay But when I was working in an office at every office job I had, the dress code was always something like business casual, quote unquote, which a term it's like a term that has never had any real meaning to me other than like, don't wear jeans. I don't know. Like, it's just the most nebulous term to me. 
Um, but I talked about this on the non-binary feelings episode as well. But like you, Julia, I also feel really horrible in pencil skirts. Um, like, because I think they're hyper feminine and I don't like, like, I don't really like how they make me feel. And I also don't like how other people tend to perceive me when I'm wearing them. But I also love flowier skirts for the reasons that you mentioned. But I also feel like workplace dress codes are areas where like this like coded language tends to run rampant. And so like people who want to present in a way that aligns with their gender identity or people who want to dress in a way that allows them to be physically comfortable or people who want to wear their hair in a way that feels comfortable to them. I feel like those things often tend to be deemed quote unquote unprofessional attire or presentation which often to me sounds like this euphemism that belies things like ableism, racism, transphobia. And so the term professionalism in an office setting to me is itself rooted in like white cis heteropatriarchy because the office environment was made for people, made, uh, made originally for like cis abled white men. And so like they're the yardstick for determining what's professional or not in terms of like presentation. Yeah, absolutely. I hate professionalism. Like passionately um and (laughs) refuse to partake although also take what i say with a grain of salt because have had long stints of underemployment so you know i don't know i don't know if rejecting professionalism works but i do it um (laughs) but for essentially the same reasons that have been said and i feel like for me it shows up a lot with how people view like tattoos and piercings and Mm -hmm. even like hair dye um which is so dumb i I feel like it was more earlier in quarantine that a lot of people started, like, dyeing their hair, um, which partially I know because suddenly, like, I've been dyeing my hair purple for years and all of the hair dye was sold out because everyone was like, we can dye our hair now. Like, we're working from home. And I was like, it's honestly kind of offensive that, like, if you wanted purple hair, you weren't doing it already because you think (laughs) it's, like, unprofessional or, like, immature or whatever. I feel targeted. (laughs) Not that my hair is purple. (laughs) No, Yaga, you're you're appropriating Zoe culture. Right now. <laughs> no offense to anyone currently dyeing their hair, um, but uh, if you dyed it purple, you specifically using overtone, you stole my hair dye, and I'm honestly kind of mad about it. But I'm mm. it. <laughs> it became restocked. We're it's okay. We can it's we fine. can clear the air now. But I was <laughs> mad about it a couple months ago. Um. But it's also just, like, this stupid idea, right, that, like, if you have, like, purple hair or, like, a tattoo that you're less capable of, like, being smart or, like, being a good employee or whatever, which is Mm -hmm. also – I don't dream of labor. So, honestly, don't hire me. Just give me (laughs) – someone just pay me to be alive. I don't want – I don't want a job. Um, Thank you. (laughs) But anyway – yeah, I remember in high school, I had to dress like, I think they called it like business casual um, for this like thing I was a part of. And one of the teachers told us not to wear sweaters because sweaters are for secretaries and blazers are for CEOs. Oh, my God. So like, if you want to succeed, oh you wear a blazer. Oh and if you Christ. wear a sweater, which is all I wore in high school, you're a loser. That's <laughs> to be a secretary. Um, and yeah, I just think that like goes along with what Bianca was saying that it's all just kind of based around like, if you want to succeed, you have to dress and act more like white, cis, straight men. And that's yeah. like, the way to be. Well, yeah. so just to remember it, all of Hillary Clinton's like power, like when people were like lining oh, up yeah, all her suit. like power yes, suits. Nation! I was <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh my God. Uh, I personally love a like really good tailored suit. As somebody that doesn't own one, but like aspires to one, <laughs> well, not because I, I want to be. I a, appreciate a good suit. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to be a she-o. I just want to <laughs> have like a cool suit. Um, but anyway, it's so funny that we are all talking about pencil skirts because it sounds like literally everybody hates them. And um, I think we can now officially say that Caesar the Bitch is a pencil skirt negative podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, definitely. I, I hate them. Um, and that's less because they strike me as like aggressively feminine. Um, I think I like wear stuff that feels more feminine to me than pencil skirts do. And like, I feel comfortable in that. But I hate them more because they accentuate parts of my body that I've been like told are ugly. So I have wide hips and a big butt, and like that is rag. That is very accentuated in a pencil skirt, and like I, I should say, I should say that I wear straight sizes, which is which means that I'm not plus sized, but like even on me, like a pencil skirt would be considered like inappropriate in a workplace because of how it draws attention to my features. Like, um, obviously this is incredibly ridiculous. Like my ass is my ass and it's a very professional ass regardless of how it's dressed. Thank you very (laughs) much. It's a great ass. We'll say so myself. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Um, but like, I think it's just like people with like larger breasts get called out for wearing mm-hmm. shirts or dresses that other folks could wear with no problem. Like I worry about my butt. And I bring this up, you know, partly to join in on the anti-pencil skirt solidarity, um, but also to point out that like what's considered professional can be weaponized in so many ways. Like, and Bianca, you alluded to this. Our listeners are probably familiar with professional hair, quote unquote, and how that concept is used to control like black and Afro descended people in workplaces. Um, and hopefully not that my struggles with my butt are comparable. <laughs> I don't mean that at all. But like these are there's so many different ways that professional dress is like used as a weapon against people with larger bodies, people who are gender nonconforming, like people who are disabled, people who are not white. Um, and yeah, pro- like, like you said, Zoe, professional dress is a scam. Also, yeah, yeah just want to confirm like pencil skirts, unless you're literally built like a supermodel, which very few people are unflattering, just generally <laughs> unflattering. And like, for me, it's like, I can't move my legs farther than like 10 no. degrees. I know. I don't walk. like that part of it. Like, it's constricting. Yeah. yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah. Anti-pencil skirt podcast. Yeah. <laughs> pencil skirt, enemy of the pod. <laughs> So these past few weeks have just been slowly building up our list of enemies. Yeah, it's been great. Bianca's teacher. We have not forgotten. So true. Yeah. Pencil skirts. Just above pencil skirts, which is the next item on the list. Uh, Um... Okay, so I also wanted us to talk about some ways that body dysphoria-inducing stuff can come up in interpersonal relationships. Um, One example, overweight children are twice as likely to be bullied. There's not a ton of research, but by some estimates, about 40% of larger people have experienced sexual violence. And based on we know about what about sexual violence more generally, those numbers are probably the worst for fat women and gender nonconforming people. Even more disturbingly, larger folks are far less likely to be believed when they report sexual violence they've experienced, which likely has to do with the fact that our society assumes fat bodies can't be desirable, which is also whack because it's not like sexual assault necessarily has anything to do with desire anyway, but like, you know, whatever. 
Um, this also shows up in the medical system. So we know that bigger patients tend to receive worse medical care and are less frequently believed about their symptoms. Um, often people are just told to lose weight and that will solve their problems when the real issue is something totally unrelated. There are so many issues for transgender nonconforming and intersex people in the medical system. They range from doctors treating you rudely to literally receiving forcible unwanted care or surgeries and being lied to about your medical care. Um, for fat trans folks, you can often be denied gender affirming surgeries until you lose weight. Uh, doctors may say this is because they don't know how to perform those surgeries safely, which sounds like a good excuse. But mm. if people were actually doing anything to learn about fat bodies, they would know how to do these surgeries much more safely. Um, so I still think like, you know, we can't let the medical establishment off the hook in that sense. Um, people with disabilities are also way more likely to not receive adequate care or to be denied medical care entirely. Often for fat, trans, and disabled people, doctors will say things like, oh, I'm just not an expert in this, or like, I just don't really know, I'm not equipped to handle this issue. But then that makes it so it's like basically impossible to find a doctor who is willing to treat you, like you'll just have much fewer options for providers, um, especially for someone who actively wants to help you rather than making you feel like a burden. Um, and I know Laura couldn't make it onto this episode, but I think they wanted to mention as well that um, studies show that doctors spend significantly less time with overweight patients. Um, that's the like medical terminology. Um, so this negatively impacts the person's overall health and mm. it can add additional stress. Um, so like Laura raised this comparison that I think is useful. It's like we know the ways that stress affects Black folks and makes them more susceptible to health conditions. There's similar issues for fat folks where if you receive all of this hate essentially for your body, it adds like ongoing stress. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that, Julia. I think there were like I had a couple points that I wanted to touch on that are like related to this. I think the first was like recently I was thinking about how like, I think there are medical people who think this, but there are also just, like, people, like, generally who think that, like, gender-affirming surgeries or procedures, like, getting top surgery, getting facial feminization surgery, etc., are, like, seen as, like, elective procedures and not necessary ones. Maybe because they, like, tend to group all, like, cosmetic surgeries as elective, but, like, specifically for people who are, like, seeking to get gender-affirming surgery, it's, like, to alleviate a sense of dys dysphoria that they feel in their body a lot of the time. And so, like, I just, like, read this article, I think it's by Heron Walker, who's a trans woman, and she was, like, saying how, like, she was going to get facial feminization, fem feminization surgery before the pandemic, but then that procedure, which was originally deemed as, like, a necessary procedure, ended up getting changed to an elective procedure, um, so that, like, the hospital could make room for the COVID, the influx of COVID patients, and it was, like, the ethical qualms that like came with that like oh like she wanted this like gender affirming surgery but then there was obviously all of the like the influx of COVID patients and it's like how do my priorities stack up with these priorities um but I think just like more broadly like I just kind of wanted to like call attention to the fact that like a lot of gender affirming surgeries, even though they are like cosmetic like on their face definitely are like necessary procedures and not just like elective ones so to speak 
Um, the second point I wanted to touch on was I wanted to talk about fat phobia as it relates to medical people policing fat people and specifically the issues of using BMI as a benchmark for health. This is something that I have been like thinking about for a long time as somebody who like was given my BMI like every single time when I was like uh, taken to the pediatrician's office when I was young. And it was always like high when I was young and think the doctor was always like, oh, like you should try to like, like they would tell my parents like, oh, you should try to like lower your kid's BMI. But like, and I got, was like obviously very insecure about it. Cause I was like, I don't know like what this means. I guess this means I'm like overweight or like whatever when I was young. But then like the more I learned about it as I got older, the more I realized that this like measure of fatness is like completely arbitrary and meaningless. Um, just to give some background about BMI. So like BMI or body mass index is this equation that was created by a white man from Belgium named, uh, I don't speak French, so this is going to be bad, Lambert Adolphe Jacques Quetelet in 1832. Um, and this man wasn't even a doctor and he didn't have any sort of medical training. He was a mathematician. And so the, literally this formula was like genuinely pulled out of his ass. He said himself that BMI was created as a quick way quote unquote, quick way, like not fully comprehensive way to determine fatness. And the way you would calculate BMI is you take your weight in kilograms and divide it by your height in meters squared. <laughs> and that's like, <laughs> that's literally it. And I don't know like where any of those numbers came from, but then like based on that result, the cutoffs for what makes a person quote unquote, healthy weight versus overweight or obese, all of these descriptors are obvious in very heavy air quotes. Um, are not based in anything that's a representative of humans as a whole. Because like to determine those cutoffs, Cachelet used only white men from the 1800s in his experimentation. And so in other words, like white European men from the 1800s are the benchmarks for health, quote unquote, as determined by BMI. And it's a measurement that doctors are still using today, which is like so fucked. Like it's so, it doesn't make any sense. Um, like not only... Does the formula itself not make sense? It doesn't take into consideration that being fat does not necessarily mean you're unhealthy and that not being fat doesn't necessarily mean that you are healthy. Um, and so I could like really go on forever about health, especially in Western culture, because it's also a construct insofar as like the way it's tied to how your physical body looks. But like suffice it to say that there are so many different pictures of what health is, but doctors still are apt to automatically associate fatness with poor health and ascribe any health problems experienced by fat people to their fatness without doing any deeper interrogations. Ugh. Yeah, I didn't know that, but I'm like, I mean, yeah, of course it was based on like European <laughs> men's bodies. <laughs> Hate to see For it. For some reason, it makes it funnier to me that there it was like only men from the 1800s. Yeah. <laughs> like what weird differences are there? <laughs> but yeah, it made me think of this article that was like, um, came out, I think like at the end of the summer that was talking about uh, doing weigh-ins for students going back to school in the fall to, like, monitor weight gain during, like, quarantine times, which is, like, super fucked up, obviously, for a lot of reasons. I, re I remember being mortified every time. We had to do, like, twice a year, like, weigh-ins, and it was, like, horrifying. I, like, wouldn't want anyone to see the scale because I also was, like – I was, like, always tall for my grade, so Same. I also, like, would weigh more than a lot of other students, but it was Same. so embarrassing to me for people to, like, see that because of, like, all of these things, mm -hmm. but also gave me a flashback to my first year of college. Um, I gained, like, a significant amount of weight, um, partially due to, like, birth control and also just due to having the worst depression I ever had in my life um, and eating pizza every single night. 
no regrets. But went to the health center. <laughs> regret the depression. Don't regret the pizza. <laughs> went to the, but I went to the health center. Um, and, like, I don't really remember the reason. But I had to, like, they were going to weigh me. Just, like, check in, whatever. And I said to the nurse, like, oh, I think I've, like, gained weight. And it had been, like, months since I'd been in there. And she weighs me, looks at my chart, and goes, wow, you've gained a lot of weight. Oh, my God. And, like, yeah, as someone who also has a history of, like, somewhat disordered eating and, like, body dysmorphia that was obviously Mm -hmm. very traumatizing has stuck with me. This was almost 10 years ago. Um, But, yeah, I think it just also really speaks to, like, how much we, like, internalize it for, like, kids and teens to, like – like, there's so much body image stuff, like, projected onto younger people as well mm-hmm. that, like, just, like, mm-hmm. keeps perpetuating all of it, which is disturbing. Yeah, that's terrible. I'm just, like, in awe of that story. I feel like there's – I mean, we've touched on this. There's people in the medical field that can be so insensitive in ways that are, like, literally scarring. Um I think that this is like a good point to shout out to the racism and medical schools and like racism and medicine episodes that we did a few months ago. There's some good doctors and future doctors on there. So shout out to them for like being part of the solution, not the problem. Um, But like, God, that sucks so much. Yeah. I think like both from the medical establishment and also from like society more broadly, just like diet culture and all of this stuff, there's kind of this type of discourse that's like, you just need to love your body, just like learn to love yourself and then you'll be happy. Or sometimes also like you need to do specific things to change your body, like lose this amount of weight and then you'll be happy. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, especially for trans people, like changing your physical body can be very important to reducing dysphoria. But a lot of it also comes from the way that other people and society treats you. These bigger systemic problems are not really about learning to love our bodies. We need to focus on changing the systems that punish all of these types of bodies for not conforming to some assumed norm. Um, You know, it's great to feel good about your body, but it's also okay to not like your body. People who aren't happy with their bodies still deserve to be treated with respect and humanity mm-hmm. and to have the same access to, you know, housing, healthcare, basic needs as everybody else does. Yeah, no, that's such a good point, Julia. I think specifically with respect to being non-binary, like from my personal experience, I definitely think about my body a lot as it relates to being non-binary. Um, and so... Like, I think these these thoughts that I'm about to say are follow-ups from, like, an episode that we did back in the summer about being non-binary, but I think they're specifically bodily related, so I think they tie in well here. But I think some misconceptions that people have about, like, being non-binary is that, like, non-binary people um, all, like, look the same or have the same feelings about their gender, or they ha- people have expectations about, like, what um, people who are non-binary, like, quote-unquote, should look like. And obviously, all of those misconceptions are not true. And I think the entire category of being non-binary contains, like, so many different nuances. But, like, as I was saying, like, I think for a lot of cis people who might not, like, fully understand what it means to be non-binary, they often think that, like, the stereotypical non-binary person is, like, androgynous looking, like, whatever that means. And, of course, there are, like, uh, non-binary people who, like, look like that and, like, I think in the white hegemonic imagination of a lot of people, like every non-binary person is basically like Bridget Lundy Payne. I don't know if anyone knows who they are, but it's just like, 
it's I think it's like a lot of people's like stereotypical like non-binary person in their head and like they're really great and a lot of non-binary people look like that but they can also look every way possible um and I think it's important just to mention that like non-binary people don't own don't excuse me don't owe anyone androgyny I think that's also like this reflexive thing that a lot of cis people tend to imagine because they think like oh like this person doesn't think of themselves as a man or a woman that means that they like have to look somewhere in between the two of them or like that's obviously not necessarily the case and like presentation is just one one aspect of being non-binary I love the idea of like everyone has to look somewhere between a man and a woman. Yeah, <laughs> oh, God, I hate that so much. It's like I feel like those um bathroom signs where it's like the um, markers switched up. So there's like the skirt with the man's shirt icon oh, combined, or whatever. <laughs> like, or the ones where it's like they'll be like the stick figure like of a like a man and a woman and there's like an alien and you're like yeah oh yeah yeah it's like that yeah. whether you're a man a woman or from a different planet all together, <laughs> you're welcome here so like i don't care if you're purple yeah like, literally yeah. you're like who are you helping <laughs> yeah i so i brought this up in the non-binary feelings episode that bianca mentioned but i like i maybe bears repeating or talking about again here like one of the reasons that I feel like or at least I think that I feel like I am a woman is that I have a very quote-unquote womanly body which I also hate that phrase um and I know like I know cognitively what Bianca was saying that like non-binariness is not and should not be correlated to androgyny but I also feel like people see like my boobs and my hips and like I see my own boobs and hips and I just like think like woman. And there's a lot more space within the category of woman to be gender nonconforming, I think, and still be read as woman than there is within the category of man. Like I feel like people see someone with more masculine features wearing nail polish and are like, whoa, maybe that person is non-binary. But Meanwhile, I dress like a vacation dad and people still read me as woman. Like, I think in part because I have these like very evident curves. I'm doing like big air quotes here. I hate that word too. I hate like all of the words that I'm using right now. But (laughs) I do think like, I think that there, there's more space within, within what we consider to be women to experiment with gender than there is space within what we consider to be men without mm-hmm. throwing up these flags that say like this person is quote unquote gender non-conforming mm-hmm. maybe I should consider what pronouns I'm using because mm-hmm. nobody ever except for I mean like there are people on the left who refer to everybody that they don't know as they mm-hmm. nobody ever refers to me as they or ever calls me sir or anything like that mm-hmm. um, and yeah it's really interesting to compare that to to like my friends who are much more traditionally non-feminine i have however called kellen my dad when we spent father's day together and i love that so much (laughs) (laughs) kellen is my father (laughs) so sweet (laughs) um yeah i also i guess like when you were talking about that i was just thinking also about how like I definitely have had similar feelings that like to some degree for me have been alleviated somewhat when I've lost weight. And so then I'm like skinnier. I have less of a butt and less mm-hmm. boobs. Yeah. Um, and that like makes me feel better in my body. But that's also really frustrating because yeah. like on another level, I also don't really want to have those like feelings of shame tied up in 
being fatter. I so like that so much. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that is definitely something that comes up for a lot of non-binary and trans people as well is like navigating those kind of different, like, I don't know, different competing like needs that you have for your body. Um, I think like personally, just one of my biggest pet peeves is when cis people assume that everyone is cis until coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, just like this is kind of a tangent, but the whole idea of coming out just like assumes that you are cis and straight until proven otherwise. And I think it just reinforces this idea that your gender is only based on how other people read you. Um, Everyone makes choices about their gender presentation based on what will make them safest and happiest in relation to other people. So I don't know. I just think it's unfair to specifically decide that non-binary people need to like walk around yelling, I'm non-binary, otherwise they're not really. Um, But I think like what you brought up, Kellen, is really true that often like trans feminine folks and anyone who is non-binary who is assigned male at birth has like a much harder time with that because of sexism. Um, And I think like that is a huge problem. Like it definitely is a lot harder for trans feminine folks to feel safe exploring those things versus trans masculine folks where it's Mm -hmm. like yeah even if you even if people totally think you're a woman at this point like if you're dressed in quote-unquote men's clothes you probably won't be like actively in danger in I mean in some cases perhaps but like yeah not quite in the way that a lot of trans women experience Mm -hmm. um but yeah I guess overall like people just should not have to disclose like their specific identity or chronic illness or disability in order to be accommodated. I think more so we should just be trying to work towards a world and spaces that are inherently inclusive and accessible for all types of bodies and kind of take that thinking into account in the way that they're created. Yeah. um, Yeah, I wanted to just talk a little bit about chronic illness specifically. And for the sake of time, we'll keep this relatively short because we did a whole episode on chronic illness, which... You can go listen to anytime you want, um, if you haven't already, with Caroline Riley. We love her. Yeah, so in times when going out in public was safe, um, I would regularly go to get body work done for chronic pain. Um, I've done pretty much all of them, like acupuncture, massage therapy, craniosacral, osteopathy. Um, Yeah, you name it. I've probably done it. And a few years ago, um, one of my practitioners who, like, I I went to her a lot, and this was at the time – I, like, didn't really hang out with people that much because I um, wasn't, like, drinking because of, like, health problems. And so – and I was in college. So it's, like, really hard to, like, socialize when you're not drinking. And I had so many appointments. So anyway, I was talking to this practitioner. She was, like, probably one of the people at the time that I saw, honestly, the most frequently. (laughs) (laughs) And I was, like, telling her, like, yeah, I'm really depressed and especially, um, like – yeah, I don't have very much of a social life right now because there's just so much, like, medical things to take care of. And she, like, looked at me just, like, very earnestly and was like, yeah, I know it's, like, really hard to be trapped inside your body. Which, as soon as we started talking about a flesh prison episode, this anecdote Mm. just, like, flew back to me because she, like, said that to me. And in that moment, I was just like, whoa, like, yeah, like, I feel, like, trapped inside this body that, like, doesn't always, like, do what you want it to do or, like, look mm-hmm. how you want it to look and, like, you're just, like, inside it. It's like when you stare in the mirror and you're like, is that, like, whoa, whoa, I'm, yeah. I'm in there. <laughs> Who is that? 
Exactly. I'm in there. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, like, tying that in with this episode, um, I just think there's a lot of, like, touch to feel, like, shame or, like, being ashamed of not being able to, like, do certain things. Like, I feel really embarrassed or, like, guilty when I have to tell people, like, oh, I actually don't feel up to doing that because, like, I'm just, like, having a really bad health day or, like, I don't feel well or whatever. Um, And people have brought things up to me of, like, being like, oh, well, like, all of your, like, social media posts make it seem like you're okay. And I'm like, because it's my fucking Instagram. I'm not going to, like, Instagram yeah. <laughs> pictures of me lying in bed with a migraine. Like, I don't know what you want from me. Um, but, yeah, but so it is, like, it's been hard um, and something I've been trying to work on to be able to be like, no, actually, like, I don't feel well today. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Um, but that does often bring me back to just, like, even if I want, it's not about, like, not wanting to do things. It's, like, you're trapped in your flesh prism. Mm-hmm. Prison. Yeah. And prism. Just a, prism. Just a hunk of flesh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think discussions about chronic illness flow well into the next topic we wanted to dis- discuss, which is menstruation. And we could definitely talk for a whole episode about this topic. And, like, I think you have. Like, before I joined, there was an episode where, like, we talked about a guest or we had a guest who talked about their experience with endometriosis. Yes. Um, yeah. That was also the episode I just referenced. Oh yeah. With same Caroline one. Caroline Riley. I think it's just called chronic illness. It's great. Mm-hmm. Go, go check it out. If you have not already. Yeah. Lots of episodes to cross reference. <laughs> yeah. yes. It's great. <laughs> we love to talk about being trapped in our flesh prisons. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we wanted to kind of talk about the ways that like menstruating can be painful, like both physically and psychologically. And, like, for some of us, how menstruating can also produce dysphoric feelings. Yeah, I definitely have a lot of gender dysphoria around my period and kind of generally, like, the potential for pregnancy. Um, Growing up, I got a lot of the typical messages about how menstruation is kind of gross or, like, shameful that I think most people socialized as women receive. Um, And I guess everyone really receives them, Um, you know, just the typical society hating women stuff. Then as I got older, I was exposed to more media that was like feminist and period positive and was about how menstruation is beautiful and all of this stuff. And like, I got really into that because I was like, yeah, totally like periods are not gross and women's bodies are not gross. But I think it took me a little bit longer to recognize where like my discomfort with that was coming from, which was more just like that I did not have a woman's body and I like didn't want that for myself. Um, So like being told that I needed to feel good and positive about menstruation was sort of harmful to me in that way. Um, Mm -hmm. Even though I think like that type of discourse is very well-intentioned, it just like didn't really match with my experience. And I think now that I know that um, and can understand it that way, I'm much more able to cope with it and realize that like, For example, when I'm on my period, I need to sort of like take more time for like essentially self-care, like, you know, Mm -hmm. just do more things like wearing men's clothing or other things that feel like gender affirming to me. Um, And I think like going back to an earlier point, it's okay to not like menstruation or feel positive about the idea of being pregnant. Like you still don't deserve to be shamed for it and it's still not gross but it's just like okay to not be happy that it's a thing that your body does Mm -hmm. and I think on the other side of that like it's also okay to feel good about and desire those things even if they aren't things that your body does 
And you don't deserve to be shamed for that either. Like, I think a lot of people think, might think that it would be weird to like desire menstruation if it's not something that your body experiences. But I think Mm -hmm. it goes both ways where like, if that is not matching up with how you view your body and your gender, that can be really painful. Yeah, no, that's such a good point. I think it's like such a like individual experience just in terms of like how people interpret having a period or not having a period. But like for me, like my feelings about having a period like kind of, I think are similar to what you were saying, Julia, about like, like I don't really like want to have one just, just it doesn't align with how I conceive of my own gender. But it's, like, also something where, I mean, like, physically it doesn't give me any, like, discomfort. Like, if sometimes I'll have cramps and I'll take an Advil and it'll be fine. But, like, it's more of, like, a psychological thing for me um, because it reminds me that I'm in, like, an assigned female at birth body and I'm just, like, I don't, like, I don't want to think about that. But, like, just in terms of, like, socialization, I remember I was, like, oh, I don't know if I'm, like, for certain the first person in my class to get their period. But I remember, like, being one of the first people in my class to get their period. And I remember this because I was in fifth grade and like at the time my mom wasn't letting me use tampons and so I was wearing pads and we would sometimes have to go swimming for gym class and I would like have to you know have my mom write a note and be like oh Bianca can't go swimming today and I would sit on the bleachers at the pool while everybody else was swimming sometimes people would ask me oh why aren't you swimming and I would be like my stomach hurts but like people like no I think by that age it's like oh like you have your period but I remember there being a lot of like paranoia about like needing to go to the bathroom to change my pad and I would have to hide it like in my sleeve or like in my pants pocket and that lasted like a long time for me even when I knew a lot of people around me also had their periods like having to hide menstrual products was a really like anxiety inducing thing for me um so yeah just a lot of complicated feelings about it yeah that like made me remember a period story that i guess i'm gonna tell we're 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 radical honestying today (laughs) yeah um i also got my period pretty young i think i was 11 so like fifth grade but at some point in yeah in like the 2006 2007 era when you would wear like velour tracksuits i had this like (laughs) white velour tracksuit and i was like i am the coolest person who has ever walked the face of the earth and I got my period and I like didn't notice and I went to the bathroom and the beauty of this story is just the the solidarity that I go into the bathroom and this other person in the bathroom is like oh my god like you have your period and I was like because there was like blood anyway this wonderful human helped me like cover it, like wrap the sweatshirt around to like cover oh, it up. Sweet. And we had this whole moment. Honestly, couldn't tell you their name. Don't remember. Don't think we knew each other. But I like remember this oh moment of being like this person, like just like very really helped me um, <laughs> evade this mortifying experience with my white velour tracksuit. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> yes. So, you know, um, not that I love my period, but I do love that moment for me. But yeah, I've always had like a lot of pain associated with it. I've always had like really, really bad cramps and like migraines and back pain. And like I have the very like stereotypical, just like horrible PMS um, that you see on TV that people are like, that's a stereotype. I'm like, no, that's me. Um, (laughs) I don't love that it's a stereotype for everyone, but it's just true for me personally. Um, But yeah, now like I have an IUD, so I don't actually menstruate but I still have just like bad PMS and like kind of all of the other 
symptoms, which, like, yeah, for me can be, like, really debilitating. Like, I'll get cramps that are very bad and I just, like, can't leave my bed. So, yeah, I don't know. Don't love it. I kind of feel like the thing of, like, oh, it's so beautiful. It's, like, sure, but also since I was, like, 10 years old has made me, like, unable to leave my bed for a week every Mm -hmm. month. So, like, why should I love that? Yeah. Zoe, I feel like we've commiserated on this like multiple <laughs> times, like having an IUD, but still having everything happen to you that normally happens except for just the bleeding. Yeah. Um, Unfair. Yeah. I feel least at home in my body when I'm like bloated from my IUD non-period. Mm-hmm. Um, also, as a side note, since we're just like sharing stories now. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. So you've been like, yeah. So this is what Here this episode it. is. I um, need to air that grievance about my white velour tracksuit. <laughs> yes. Um, the last doctor that I went to was like, so you have an IUD. Like, did you have painful or problematic periods before then? And I said, no, because like, I don't really. It's like annoying, but it's not debilitating. Um, and then later in the appointment, we were going through the sexual health stuff. And she was like, how many sexual partners do you have? And I said, one, RIP to this time in my life. Actually, the person that was my sexual partner listens to this podcast so (laughs) shout out um uh maybe you know who you are at this point you probably do (laughs) and the doctor was like um are you using protection to avoid pregnancy other than your iud and i was like no but like i don't think it's gonna be a problem because this person is like a cisgender woman at this point she almost certainly knows who she is shout out what up i'm dabbing um and the doctor was like oh well, then why do you have an IUD? And I was oh like, God. well, when I got the IUD, my primary sexual partner was a man. And then she just like looked at me and you could like see the gears turning in her head being like, now sex with lady, once sex with man. And I was just like, oh my God, you're going to be fucking kidding me. Um, <laughs> anyway, then she abruptly changed the subject. But I was just like, People can have sex with more than one gender. You're you're a gynecologist. You should know this. Like a 35-year-old gynecologist. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that's all I had to say about that. No, I just want to say that's a terrible way for a gynecologist to ask you about your sexual behaviors. Like, it's just like, you don't have to insert the judgment. Just ask. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> also, how do gynecologists not learn more about sex I know. in their education? Right. That's a great question. We got to do an episode about that at some point. Um, <laughs> just interview a gynecologist like, what did they tell you What's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, that also reminds me, I love that this is just like, we're just sharing stories and it's then it's great. like reminding others of us of other stories that are yes. like relevant <laughs> of horrible like experiences we've had but this reminds (laughs) me of this time that so the most recent time that I went to the gynecologist um I they were like which genders do you have sex with please tell us all of them and I was like (laughs) I'm like I'm bisexual I'm attracted to all genders you can just like check off all the boxes on the form you know like whatever is there just check it off and I was like trying to be like you know like just get through this quickly and just you know get end this interaction but instead (laughs) they refused to take that as an answer and they made us go through literally every checkbox on the forum like how about women how about men how about trans women how about trans why do you have to different yeah first of all like I was like I don't know part of me was like this is kind of cool but that they're like you know acknowledging that someone might come to the gynecologist and not just be having sex with cis men but like 
the fact that trans women and women were two different categories, for example, was like, what? Like, I didn't even know how to respond. And then like, I, it was like every oh single God. one had, we had to have a conversation about it. And oh I don't know. Christ. It was just also like funny because I'm in a committed relationship and like, I only have one sex partner right now, but the amount of time that it took to go through like all of the hypothetical genders of all of the hypothetical people I might ever have sex with versus just like taking my word for it that you can like check off all the boxes or just like give me care that relates to that. And we like don't need to go through this whole list one by one. Um, I feel like, I mean, it's like, honestly, if someone hasn't even had sex at all, like you should just take at face value if they're like, I want sexual health care related to sex with all genders. Mm -hmm. Like, just give that to them. Don't make them go through an extensive list of all of their sexual partners. Yeah. Um, like, we could just make it more standard to not assume that everyone at the gynecologist is only having sex with cis men. And that would probably solve a lot more problems than this weird, like, meticulous catalog system that they had. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we wanted to end on the topic of body euphoria because we've talked a lot about body dysphoria, but you know, we want to end on a happier note perhaps. Um, so for me personally, like we kind of opened this episode talking about when I was growing up, I really hated my body and just wished that it could like go away and that I could disappear and just be like a formless void. Um, this was for a lot of reasons for me, including my gender and the fact that I was a lot fatter than most of the people I knew. And I got a lot of shame for that. Um, but once I realized that I was non-binary and could make different choices about my gender presentation, and I guess more generally that I could like do things that I was proud of in my body at many different weights, it made me a lot happier. So basically, I felt like I just needed to start ignoring a lot of the messages I was getting from mainstream culture and all of these systems that we've talked about and just start trying to do my own thing as much as possible. Um, like I mentioned, I think sort of like body positivity is a bit of a flawed concept, but I do think that body euphoria can be an act of resistance in our very fucked up world. Um, so... One aspect of this for me personally is definitely being friends with other non-binary people. Um, also being friends with other people who don't subscribe to diet culture so that I don't have to spend time hearing people say things like, oh no, I ate this cookie, I'm evil, um, because that also makes me feel bad about my own weight and eating habits. And being friends with people who have similar experiences of dysphoria and their bodies not working the way they want them to, because sometimes that can just be really frustrating and painful, and it can be great to have people to commiserate with who kind of understand what you're going through. Um, also, I think non-binary representation in media is really important. Um, but we don't have a ton of that yet. So I also just like deciding that fictional characters are non-binary <laughs> or deciding that objects, for example, a spork are non-binary icons. Um, yeah. um, I also wanted to shout out to the non-binary icon, um, which is a hybrid bottle opener nail clipper that so Kellen and I discovered we both own, which is proof that we I totally are both about soulmates this, but... and have the same disgusting sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I should also note that it is a bottle opener, a nail clipper, and a keychain. So oh, yes. Just, just Triple thread. Yeah. I bought it when I was, like, very drunk in one of those, like, kitschy, like, um, souvenir shops and was like, oh, I need this. Like, this is the most <laughs> oh perfect contraption I've ever seen. 
Mine it's I great. got when I ordered a sorry that I used Amazon. I'm a bad leftist, but I ordered like a kit to cut my own hair from Amazon and it came with this thing as like a gift. Oh my god. They were like, You're cutting it's your so own funny. hair in quarantine. You also need a nail clipper bottle opener keychain. Yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. Well, as, wow. as our um, president-elect Joe Biden famously said, there are at least three genders and they are <laughs> bottle opener, nail clipper, and keychain. Wait, did he actually say there are at least three genders? Yes, yes he did. <laughs> yeah, he was, he was asked, like, how many genders are there? And he was like, he was like at least three. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, I know two is wrong, but I'm not sure <laughs> about anything else. I'm gonna say three so I don't get at flamed on three. Twitter tomorrow. <laughs> Maybe there's more. I'm going to tack on at least. <laughs> um, yeah, personally, I also just really love um, like pointing at delivery companies called things like Transamerica and being like, that's me. Um, <laughs> I saw a really good one the other day that was like trans fast. And I was like me when I'm running. So. <laughs> love that for you. I love that. Yeah, no, literally same to all of this. Um, and I think for me, like my body weight has been something that's been like a big source of like anxiety and struggle for a lot of my life. My close friends who've known me for a long time know a lot about this. But I also I like definitely think that being non-binary has been really liberating for me because like a lot of my insecurities at first, like uh, were rooted in like comparing my own body to like cis feminine standards as dictated by the media, as dictated by just like society in general when like when I realized I was non-binary that really helped me to like free myself from those comparisons and so now I'm like yeah like clothing sizes are fake I remember like thinking a lot about waist hip ratios when I was like in college because we I in like an intro psych course there was a lecture that we had that was on like the psychology of attraction and the professor presented like study after study that showed that like oh like men are like most commonly attracted to women with this like waist hip ratio and I was like what and then but like I was like thinking about that for a long time it's like so disgusting but like I was able to like so much it's so I hate it like it was the worst I had a lot of bad professors um (laughs) another enemy (laughs) add them to the list (laughs) literally yeah truly yeah so many Um, But I was like, that's all fake, like, clothing sizes are fake, all these constructs, like, they're just, like, bad, and, like, I don't need to subscribe to them. So, yeah, at the end of the day, I'm, like, thankful that, like, my body at all, at all the ways it's been, like, throughout my life, and all the ways that I've chosen to present it, like, has been able to do so many things and, like, withstand so many things. Um, I think, like, also, like, being friends with other non-binary people and people who don't subscribe to diet culture has been really helpful for me. I remember this one comment I got, like, I posted an Instagram story of myself, like, wearing, like, a sports bra and, like, basically, like, workout clothes. And, like, somebody replied, like, oh, you look really strong instead of, like, slim or, like, skinny or, like, whatever. Because those latter terms only have positive connotations, like, because of diet culture. And I think, like, specifically these days, like, with my body having been put through the thing that is overcoming the SARS-CoV-2 virus. But like that experience has really put a lot of things into perspective for me. And so like more than anything, like I'm just thankful that like my body and the way that it exists right now. And of course, like all the other circumstances in my life that like allowed me to like overcome it, like is like that my body is also like strong enough to fight disease. And I think like that itself is like, an imp- was an important and like very harrowing reminder for me. <sighs> Yeah, love that. But yeah, I feel similarly to Bianca um, in a lot of ways. 
I think something that really helped for me, like how um, Bianca was saying, uh, it was like affirming when someone was like, oh, you look so strong, was um, when I started doing like like strength training and weightlifting. I just forgot how to speak. <laughs> okay. <laughs> just forgot how words worked. Um, <laughs> anyway. But, yeah, which now I'm, like, it's been a while because of COVID and I can't go to the gym. But I think focusing on, like, getting stronger and being, like, oh, I didn't know that these were things that, like, my body was, like, capable of doing felt a lot better than always trying to, like, lose weight or being, like, I have to work out because, like, it's, like, a punishment more so than, like, oh, I'm trying to, like, reach these goals of, like, being stronger and, like, envisioning myself, like, beating up, like, creepy men, which is, like, my real (laughs) goal in life. Um, but yeah, I think, like, just kind of changing the focus of, like, what you actually, like, want or, like, yeah, bodies are also, like, cool in a lot of ways. Like, as Bianca was kind of saying, realizing, like, oh, I, like, overcame this disease. Like, my body was, like, able to do that. And that's, like, pretty cool to think about. Yeah. One thing that's hard for me as somebody with a chronic illness, in my case, it's one that causes a lot of problems with my joints, is that a lot of physical activity is just like off limits to me. So when I hear stories about people finding ways to feel strong in their bodies instead of like worrying about weight, I'm always like, ah, I like I want that for me, but I don't mm-hmm. always know like how to do it. Um, so like, for example, I've seen these videos of Zoe powerlifting and I'm <laughs> so impressed. Oh my god! But I also am like, yep, if I tried that, I know exactly at what point my shoulder would just locate i know where that's gonna happen Aww. that barbell is falling on my head okay but um, if you've never seen kellen on her scooter you're missing out on so a powerful much. existence oh my god <laughs> so i do scoot um I, I don't feel proud of that uh but it is a fact but i found i have found that like hiking makes me feel really good and strong that can be hard mm-hmm. to do regularly when you live in a city environment um, but that is one thing where I'm like, look at, I can't, got to the top of this big hill. Like my body's cool. It got me here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that this is also something that like people who have limited mobility, like more limited than me, I'm sure probably struggle with in a lot of ways. So like, um, yeah, it's something that I'm still working on and working through. And I would just like love to hear from listeners how y'all feel strong or how y'all feel whole or just like comfortable in your own bodies. Because as we've established in this episode, it can be tough. Yeah. None of us asked yeah. to be born and certainly none of us asked to be born into a body. That is true. <laughs> so true. Um, and you can send us those thoughts about your experiences of body euphoria on twitter or instagram at season of the bee shoot us a dm you can send us an email at season of the bee at gmail.com you can also if you join our patreon at patreon.com slash season of the bitch tell us about it on discord um where you can also talk to our amazing community Honestly, like, I think the main attraction of joining the Discord is all of the other amazing people who are in the Discord, Um, but we are also there and you can talk to us. Um, We also have a reading group that is sort of an ongoing quarantine experiment um, where we're doing lots of knowledge building together. It's really cool. Um, And you can visit our website, seasonofthebee.com, and rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. Say something nice about us if you feel like it or give us a good rating um, or wherever you're listening to us right now. You know, send send us some good vibes. Um, that's all. Love you all. Bye. Love you. Love you. Bye. 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 Wow.
season of the bitch.